Welcome and what up? You're listening to Shakisha and the White Boy. I am Ryan Dinger, and if you couldn't guess, I am in fact the White Boy on this show. I am joined here, as I always am, by my dear friend and co-host, coming to you straight out of Harlem. She's the very smart, very funny, very creative, and very fancy Shakisha Williams. Shakisha, how are you today? I'm fancy, huh? You are super fancy. <laughs> super fancy. The fanciest. Bougie, prissy, I'll take it. The fanciest fancy to ever fancy, if you will. I'll take it. <laughs> how you doing, bro? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah, man. You, uh, you're hanging in there? You have a good I, been, I've been like under the weather a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not going to... You know, we got to do what we got to do, so we here. Yeah, totally. I'm in the moment. Let's go. Let's get so, it. So, something I wanted to ask you about on the intro of today's show. Uh, What's up? A friend of the podcast, Berberock, as everyone knows, he's familiar. You, If you listen to the show, you're familiar with him by now. Sir B. He sent me a song this week that he said reminded him of Shakisha and the White Boy, and the song is called Hella Black, and that's by Toby Nwigwe. That's T-O-B-E-N-W-I-G-W-E. Uh, I'm just hella black. Yes. You was playing it for me. That Berberock sent in, and he said it reminds him of our show. Ow. And my first comment was... <laughs> me? You, you realize <laughs> that I'm white, right? Like, it's not a metaphor or something. Like, I'm not playing no, a white like, person you, you really on a are. You really are. So, <laughs> I wasn't really sure how to react. Like, I was like, that's awesome. Like, I'm... Thank you that you're thinking about the podcast and like right, right, it's right. a dope song. Like, it's a dope guys, song. It's on YouTube. I, and the, I and the, and the video is awesome. Super cool. But yeah, I was like, yeah, uh, why? And he was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it's a great. I'm, again, it's not an insult. I'm glad I'm to be associated. But yeah, what is your so? How do you feel about it? Because you told me he sent it to you also. I enjoyed it. I was like, yeah. I, I I was kind of with you because I was like, he's thinking more of me than than you, right? Yeah, which I think is a good thing. And, but you know. at the same time, at the same time, I think a lot of our themes are very based on, like you know, the struggle of yes. what it means to yes. be a black person in America. You know, I think one might agree there is a bit of a racial. The dynamic I've heard going on with things. This show, I've you know? heard things. You wouldn't about know it us. from the title, Shakisha and the White Boy, but <laughs> race is something that we are very willing to discuss here. We're on the aware show. of it. We're so, aware of it. Yeah. I, I I had not heard that song before though, and like Me it is super catchy. I'm just hella so, black. I think we'll have to use it and maybe in the promotions of maybe uh, we could get Toby episode. on the show and talk right. about it. Yeah, we should talk about his music. That would be cool. Yeah, Yeah, man. I'm actually not, I'm not really super familiar with him. He Um, seems like he's, like, after, like, listening to it a little bit, I kind of dug, and I'm digging his vibe, man. Yeah. I like that he's so creative in his visuals and the music. He's out of Houston, Texas, actually. Oh, that explains one of his videos. He's, like, on the horses. Mm, Interesting. Okay. Oh, he's a Nigerian-American. Oh, he's Nigerian. Okay. he's based. Let's see. uh, Where's his Wikipedia page? It's not a... Maybe he doesn't have one yet. He might but he be... definitely he definitely has IG and he has a YouTube channel. Okay, he's a first generation Nigerian American. That's okay. what's up. So, yeah, that's really cool. Oh yeah. my goodness. I thought that I thought that you would like that though. That I someone... enjoyed it. Thank you, Berberock. Yes. That was uh so what's going on otherwise? Nothing too crazy happening. Nothing too crazy. Still, you know, working on some stuff coming up in yeah. March. I'll I'll give you some deets. 
coming down the line. All right, all right. Keeping it close to the vest because it's a client, like it's not me. Okay. So it's not yeah. my project to talk yeah, about, yeah, right, but right. it's pretty intense, pretty big. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually very excited. We're, this is actually like a covert marketing campaign too, because we ke- I keep asking about it and having you go. <laughs> I can't talk about it just yet. So like by now, everyone's be like, "What the fuck?" Is this thing? And I I have have an idea about what it is. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. You know, we'll see. I'm really excited about today's show because on today's show, we're going to continue our Black History Month segment by having Ms. Shakisha Williams take us through the life and work of black filmmaker Oscar Micheaux. Yes. I'm really looking forward to it. So am Um, I, sir. So am I. But before we dive into the life of Oscar, we're going to talk about a news story that's going to make you shake your head because it's time for WTF. So today's WTF is something that's kind of near and dear to me, mm-hmm. mainly because um, I'm a plus size woman um, and all things plus size and body positive tend to kind of stay on my radar. Yeah. Um, I'd seen it in a, a news clip and I thought this was pretty damned interesting. Um, you do a show about plus size women. I do. Kirby Girls Rock. It's on Vimeo now, guys. Shameless plug. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. And um, one of my favorite pop stars, mainly because she's dope, but because she lives life to the fullest, she's yeah. living her best life, mm-hmm. is Lizzo. Yes, I Shout love her out. too. Yep. That is my bitch. Yeah. So what um, happened with Lizzo? <laughs> so, Julian Michaels, who some of you may know from... Uh, the Biggest Loser. Yeah. Um, it was a show that was on NBC a few years mm-hmm. ago, and it's basically taking people who are fat and getting them down to a gold weight. Right. Um, and then they win money and prizes. And Julian Michaels was always a very, like, she was the one who was yelling at people, and she had a really kind of in-your-face uh, way of dealing with fitness and dealing with the workouts and everything. Um, and she is really successful in the fitness industry. Well, just recently, and it was a few weeks ago, some of you may have already heard this story, but I need to talk about it. Um, and I'm reading from the Washington Post. It was an article written um, a few weeks ago. And it says here, fitness expert and personal trainer Jillian Michaels has a message for fans of Lizzo, a singer whose chart-topping anthems preach self-love, celebrates her music, and body. Oh, dear. Why are we celebrating her body? Why does it matter? Why aren't we celebrating her music? Michaels asked during a Wednesday appearance on BuzzFeed News Morning Show. Uh, AM to DM is the name of the show. Because it isn't going to be awesome if she gets diabetes. Michaels comments part of a larger discussion on health, wellness, and body positivity went viral Wednesday as critics accused the 45-year-old who rose to fame as a coach on The Biggest Loser mm-hmm. um, of being fat-phobic. Um, and for me, so here, here's some of the, and I, I promise you folks that I'm going to get some of my favorite fat girls on Shakisha and the White Boy, and yes. we're going to have a rap sesh about these issues and about the idea of weight and obesity and the effects it has on health and what the realities are, particularly for women of color. 
Our bodies are different. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, what I feel is that she was framing this as people having like fetish fetishizing yes. Lizzo. And for me, I don't look at it that way. I feel this way. Lizzo has risen to the top because not only is her song or her song super duper positive and super duper uh, effective. Like if you're in a room, you just feel good oh, about yeah. yourself, yeah, awesome. feeling good as hell, yeah. as she would put yeah, it. Totally. But because she's a beautiful woman and because and, and like her weight isn't the topic. Like, when she puts on her shit, she's like, yeah, look at my belly, but she's dope. She's fucking amazing. Yeah, she's, one of the things is that always stood out to me about her is how confident she is. And she's confident. And, like, she just owns who she is so, so well. And I think you know? that is the issue. I don't really believe that the issue is, what if she gets diabetes? Because yeah. Lizzo is at a very particular, she's at a good place in her life. She's got money. Right, right. And I'm sure she's got health care. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and, I'm, yeah. And a lot of fat people don't have diabetes or mm-hmm. high cholesterol. Yeah. They work out. They dance. Right. She's a performer. She's performing a lot. She's con- concerts are sold out constantly. Totally. Yeah, She's she blew up this in 2019. You know, And I know she'd been working on it. For years before for that, years. in 2019, she like superstardom. You know, she rose stratospheric. To yeah, stratospheric is is 100 true. I don't know. I think uh, I mean I 100 agree with what you're saying. I wonder, um, like, huh. it's strange to me. Like, it feels like Julianne Michaels has completely missed the point. Like the fact yep. that Lizzo is all these things and owns them is sort of the point. Like her whole message is around like you not, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Just love yourself for who you are and and how you're comfortable. And like, that is going to be enough. Like if you love, and see, she said something on her tiny desk concert that really stood out to me. She said, if you can love me this much, you can love yourself this much. Come on. Loving me this much proves that you're capable of like that level of love. So if you can give it to me, you can give it to yourself too. And when you like distill her down, everything that she is, mm-hmm. down to just like a, her body a figure, yeah, you're kind of like, well, are you re- have you considered her yeah. at all beyond how she looks? Because Absolutely. if you had, you would have taken a moment to think about the thought instead of going out with it and maybe reflect on like why it is that you're feeling the need to attack this person. Um, and I also yeah. feel like when it comes to black women's bodies, there's always a lot of conversation around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a few years ago, J and B performed at the Grammys and you know, like he kind of, she had on like a, like a Teddy bodysuit kind of yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was like a lot of backlash people saying, well, how is she on TV and children are watching her and he's grabbing, that is her husband. Hello. It's not just some guy. <laughs> right. Like it's her husband who's touching right. her that way. It just happened with the Super Bowl halftime show earlier this month. Did it now? And, and it was a lot of backlash <laughs> because they were, you know, twerking and, dancing in a, a Latin style. Yes. And people were saying it was over-sexualized and that, you know, it's supposed to be a show for kids. Yeah. Won't anyone think of the children? Meanwhile, there are, there are beer ads. There's so much sex in the commercials. <laughs> it's supposed to be a show for kids. Yeah. But 
except for all the other stuff. Yes. And it's like you you had said. Women of color. Women, but yeah, I mean, for women, women of, of color, color broadly, yes. it's this issue. And someone pointed out that um, Maroon 5 played the year before and Adam Levine was shirtless. Yes. And there was no... Backlash. You know, yeah. Nothing said. <laughs> no yeah. like, gasping like, <laughs> oh... He's so he's too sexy on TV. No so. one clutched the pearls. Yeah, there was no pearl clutch. So I, you know, Julian Michaels. You know, I know she has. That's her. Like fitness is her business, and the idea of wanting to for people who are unhappy in their bodies makes money for her. Yeah. So I get why that's not- her platform to stand on. But in my show, Curvy Girls Rock, episode two, the character Jazzy says, "I cannot change. I can't be." what someone wants me to be. Yeah. She didn't say like I'm paraphrasing the line, but it's basically if I want to lose weight, I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it for the the right, public right. at large. So it looks like, yeah, the public ideal of how a body is supposed to look. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? I won't say anything negative about Julian Julianne. What I will say is I fucking love Lizzo. I love everything she stands on. I watch every performance. Yeah. Lizzo you got a big fan. She's the bomb. Yeah, yeah I love Lizzo bomb too. Bomb dot motherfucking come. One last thing, I want to get this in real quick. If you follow Lizzo, you said, it, you know, Julianne Michaels is sort of positioned as a fitness thing. If you follow Lizzo on Insta or uh, on TikTok or her Twitter, yes. she's often posting her workouts from the gym and stuff. So she's clearly focused on like being physically active. You would have to be physically active to dance and do the things that she does every night. So, yes. like, clearly there is some level of fitness there. Sips maybe tea. Not, yes. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's collectively sip our tea as we say, Julianne Michaels, what the fuck? What? Fuck. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck, Richard? What the fuck? Love that we got to talk about Lizzo again on the podcast. It's been a few times. Can I tell you a quick story about Lizzo? Please, give it in. So you had said, you were talking about um, how like music, her her music can have such a big effect on you. And I felt that too. Like I, the album, Cause I Love You from top to bottom is great. There are a ton of bangers on it. I am like, just as a music fan, I really love it. You're about to tear up, which is appropriate (laughs) because a funny story, um, probably like in August of last year at this point, uh, I was like just going to, I don't even remember where I was going but I was riding on the subway and of course I was listening to music I was listening to Lizzo and uh, the song Like a Girl came on and uh, <laughs> I started thinking about um, my my young niece and like the lyrics of that song are very much about like you know Serena Willie told me I could win the Wimbledon and there's like she's giving examples of like women who have shown her all the great things she can achieve yes. the whole song is about like you know, if, if you're real like a girl, you feel like a girl, then do your thing, run the whole, the whole damn, damn world. world. yeah. I actually, and it's a really poppy song. Like, it's super positive and, like, upbeat, yes. fun to dance to. I actually started to tear up on the subway listening to it and thinking about my young niece and, like, hoping that this was what the world was going to be. And I, I I think about, I'm not a big crier. It's not like a, uh, a you know, I don't have an aversion to yeah. crying. It's just not something I do a lot. Yes. But I literally was having tears on the subway, like an emotional moment. And I was thinking, it must have been funny for it, like if someone saw me in that moment, they must be like, oh my God, like <laughs> who died? Or he's having this, like, what is he yeah. listening to that's so sad? And then in my headphones, it's that, it's like a girl blasting where oh like <laughs> the chorus is talking about being at this strip club and like busting <laughs> bands and throwing $100 bills and stuff like it's not the song that you would think of of like, wow, yes. it like really broke me down, but it did. So yeah, I think it just speaks to how powerful. Before we get into is. our episode, there are two songs that do that for me every single time. Yeah. It's called, one is called Optimistic by mm. Sounds of Blackness. Yeah. 
my all like I, I can't listen when you listen please do I will. um every single time it makes me tear up yeah and this other song by kirk franklin called smile every single time okay. i, I hear it one. great I it just affects me. Yeah, music, and it's and they're up, they're both upbeat. Right, but the lyrics are just it's so funny how like it works gets like my that heart. Like, yeah, like Girl is definitely a track where you can like get down. But, yes, and then yeah, you're like, I'm listening to what she's saying. I'm like, it's so I'm uplifted, right? It's so <laughs> this, this is the world I want for the young women, the young girls. Like, Love lift yeah. us up where we belong. <laughs> so, all right, enough about Lizzo because we can talk about her. Yes, but we need to talk about another yes. super badass, uh, a perhaps lesser known trailblazing. Yes, right. definitely. So, uh, Oscar Michaud, you you were gonna lead this one, so I take am. It away. You should go I'm a filmmaker and um, kind of digging into the history and what we were doing this month. I thought, why not hearken to you know all yeah. the things that I love. So. Mm -hmm. Um, what do Spike Lee, Tyler Perry, Ryan Coogler, Avery DuVernay, and Barry Jenkins all have in common? Uh, that's a really tough question because such different, like... It's I like six degrees of separation. Yeah. Tyler Perry, I'm like, what, what could they possibly have in common? I don't know. Tell me. Well, they're all black directors. Yes. Okay. And they all stand on the shoulders of Oscar Michelle. Yeah. So Oscar Michaud, I did not know who this who this man was. I know, and for a very long time, I didn't either. Mm -hmm. He had come. So living in Harlem, there's a um, uh, what do you call it? Not not a museum, a library called the Schomburg Center for Black Research. Gotcha. And they often had, and the State Building as well. They would have kind of series of movies, shorts, things like that. And just, you know, me being a culture head, I would go and see things about certain people. And I, I, I'm weird. I like the old school, like black and white silent films. Yeah. And they had shown an Oscar Michaud black and white. So that's what kind of oh, okay. got me, you know, and the guy was playing the piano, like yeah. old, like very yeah, immersive yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, so Oscar Michaud, um, was a filmmaker in a time when there were not many black filmmakers mm -hmm. or any black filmmakers, right, to yeah. say the least. Particularly someone, uh, you would like him more to a Tyler Perry in that he kind of was a Hollywood outlier. Mm -hmm. um, he was born in 1884, and that was only 19 years after slavery had been abolished. Yeah. So his parents actually were former slaves and farmers. Um, he was the 11th of 13 kids. It's crazy. Um, and lived on a farm for the better part of his young life. You think about the year 1894, mm -hmm. and like it doesn't feel that long ago, right? And when you when you frame it in the 19 years after slavery was yeah. abolished, yeah. Uh, it's like, or 1884, rather. Um, 1884, yeah. You're like... What? Yeah, it's kind of a mindfuck in a way. Like, yeah. we're really, really not far removed from it at all. You are not far removed from yeah. it. Um, and the definitely, I, I want to say he was from Indiana, but don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. um, that was the one piece I should have... That's okay. Um, ...added. Yeah. However, I know if he was on a farm that he probably faced quite a bit of racism because yeah, that means he was still in a southern in a rural in a very area. rural area yeah. um and i'm always interested in figures like these who kind of go off the beaten path like yes. someone who isn't necessarily saying 
okay, well, I want to, you know, maybe go work in the rail yards or, you know, I want to be a, a, a steam or make cars or whatever the jobs were in the north. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know what? I'm going to go out west. Yeah. I'm going to become a writer. Mm-hmm. So obviously, even with his parents being farmers, they instilled in him somehow that education was important. Right. Um, and he, you know, got in, became, had an affinity for writing. Um, and he wrote a book. And it was called The Homesteaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was written in 1918. And here's the interesting thing about that. He was going from door to door to literal homesteaders, to people who were living in these communities out west yeah. and selling them door to door. And most of these people were white. Mm-hmm. So he had some, had a little gumption. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I will say, even today, um, I think black people learn how to interact with white people. Yeah. Um, well, what do you mean by that? So we have to learn how to move amongst mm. the, the whites. <laughs> we have to learn how to move in a way that you don't necessarily have to learn to move. So if you came, like think, when you first moved I mean. to Brooklyn, yeah. you had to learn to move in certain neighborhoods differently yeah. you, than if you were in South Jersey. If yeah. I came to South Jersey, I might feel like a fish out of water. Right. That's what I mean. Okay. That fish yeah. out of water feeling yeah, yeah, yeah. is like that for black people a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking of... um. Uh, and we don't have to go too deep. No, into no, this, let's let's get into it. I remember it. having a conversation with uh, an older black man who had children, and he was talking about teaching them about how to interact with the police and how to not like step out well, of line too. and do all these. And yeah, this that too. Like, and that's what I think of. Like, and this was probably. Uh, I want to say maybe 10 years ago, eight yeah. years no, ago. No, and, and black children, I was watching Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade talking to Oprah, and they right. were telling their kids about what yeah. to happen, what would happen if they got stopped by the cops. Or even going to a friend's house, they're like, listen, never stay in a room alone. We would hate for you to be blamed for anything if anything was missing. Make sure you don't stay. I mean, these are real conversations. And so, but so what I was going to say is, yeah. I'm having a conversation with this guy, and he's telling me, it's, I'm like, yeah, but like, then you're like sort of acquiescing to the culture and he was like he like laughed and he's like it was a like a aren't you cute like laugh. and it was deserving because Aww, he was like right. he's like you're not wrong but i don't want my kids to end up dead because they stepped out of line in a way that so it's it's about that like yeah. he's like what you're saying is true but you have to understand the point of view that you're coming from which is like you're not really afraid of a right cop killing you and i have to be and I know my kids need to to learn this also so yeah when you th- when you talk about like moving among white communities and stuff that was what comes to mind for I me. mean like back then particularly with the Jim Crow laws there yeah. were a lot let's just think about this right now if a guy like I, I'm if I'm driving and someone like lunges in front of me I don't even think about it like fuck you what the fuck are you doing I'll look out my what the fuck are you doing right as a black person in Jim Crow South if someone slammed the door in your face and knocked a drink out of your hand, you had to eat that shit. Yeah. You had to eat it. Right. Because it was your literal life yeah. was in danger. A lot of times you hear now conversations surrounding um, black people and discipline. Mm-hmm. But there was a time that you had to really be hard on your kids and discipline and spankings, mainly because it was a life-saving tool. Yeah. It was life-saving. It wasn't, it was a matter of life and death in so many cases. So that's what I mean. Like this guy is going out selling a book that he wrote. 
whether he told them that or not, right, right, right. from door to door, yeah. you know, you never know what kind of person you're going to run into or what kind of situation you're going to run up on. So yeah. I'm always like intrigued when I hear these kinds of things for people who lived, you know, at least a hundred years in, before in darker me. Times, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and because of the success of the book, it somehow got into the hands of um, George Johnson, who mm-hmm. owned Lincoln Motion Picture uh, Company um, in L.A. Um, because L.A. was like like it is now. It was, yeah, yeah. It was where people the... went to make right. out west to make films. Right, right. And a lot of the movie companies were out west mm-hmm. because it was so much land and so many places that you can go and film in these large, vast territories. Um, he offered Michelle an opportunity to have Homestead become a film, which is really cool offer. That is, yeah. But he wanted to become a director. Of course. And there was a lot of kind of you know, headbutting over, you know, the rights or whatever. So he said, fuck it. I'll do it myself. He didn't say fuck it. I'm sure he said something much nicer. (laughs) Something more. He was probably more gentlemanly about it, about (laughs) it than me, but he definitely was, was like, no, I got this. So, um, he came up with $15,000, which is about $222,000. That's insane. Yeah. Um, and even now, like that's what is considered anything under a half, a, anything under a million is considered an ultra low budget right, right. film. Yeah. So even then, he was working on an ultra low budget, but to raise the funds, he didn't have crowdfunding, he didn't have a computer, mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't have, yeah. you know, were telephones even out in 1918? I, I would bet that they weren't in every household if they were. I mean, I, I don't know the time. So, like, but... he had to literally, again, go door to door and sell himself to different investors to get that's money. that's how he did it. He was and just going door to door. He went around and wow. he found investors and he actually was able to release the Homesteaders. He did it with all black cast. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't find the Homesteader anywhere. Yeah, well... Uh, so I in some of my research, I found out why that is a lot. Tell me, please. Yeah, a lot of his film reels have been destroyed uh, just through like various. Over time. Reasons. Yeah, like there's there's not a lot of there's not much of anything that he's done left. Yeah, we did like I think there was like instances with fires and um, oh wow yeah. So uh, one of the things I was reading when when we were sort of like talking about ourselves is. Uh, Oh, okay. So it it actually says it here is um, from one of the articles. I don't remember which one. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, we should. No get worries. That, but, uh, his reputation with film circles has never really been settled, and that's because you can't actually watch his movies because there's no such thing as a Michaud film that exists as it was intended. The prints are have often deteriorated or have been badly edited or have just been completely destroyed. Oh. Okay. So there's no way to actually like if, even if a version of the Homesteader does exist, it yes. may not exist in the form that he had intended. Intended. Got yeah. it. Which is sad. It is sad. Um, that even now, like, we, we don't get a lot of the, the stuff. But what I will say about Musho is that his films, he went out, he distributed them himself, mm-hmm. but he also found um, what is, well, he did what were called race pictures, and race pictures had sure. all black cast. Yes. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And this is on, like, the heels of, like, vaudeville and the minstrel. And for those of you who don't know what vaudeville is, vaudeville was um, sort of a circuit of performers who would go from state to state and more town to town and have, like, these big performances. Um, And then minstrel, the minstrel portion were white people in blackface. Mm -hmm. 
or even black actors in blackface. Yeah, that that second one is particular. I mean, the because <laughs> well, it, it, because you didn't want to be known that you were a black actor. Oh, really? So you okay. wore the the, the black. I had never heard that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. of course knew Mitchell film because you not every state would you know like you could have like yeah yeah. I mean, this is separate. Still, Jim Crow. Like so, you can't even stay in certain hotels. At right, this point. right. So that's just nuts. Like, and the black actors, you know, from Step and Fetch It to Willie, please don't hurt me, don't send me bad messages, Willie. I cannot think of his last name, but these were caricatures of what black people would be slow, lazy, you know, even they were slaves or some sort of the mammy, the Jezebel, yeah. you know, the the, the lazy guy. Um, so yeah. So those kinds of depictions, I think our Oscar Michaud was trying to buck against those perceptions. Sure. But he, from what I see, he didn't do a great job of it. He was highly criticized. Yeah. And that way, too, he is like Tyler Perry in that he's doing something phenomenal, something mm-hmm. that is groundbreaking, and yet he's being criticized for making these race pictures. Yeah, that was kind of the takeaway that I got from it was... Um... You know, in doing, I mean, I had a lot of takeaways, but one of them was like what you were saying. He was criticized. Uh, he, like, um, I guess that he wasn't like the most technically proficient director, right. or like there were just like stylistic choices that he had made and stuff that were um, not well received by everyone. Yes, I mean, yeah. he had this this short film. I want to say it was called The Dark Sky. I will send. Um, Ryan the correct links mm-hmm. so that you can add them and people can kind of check his stuff sure. out. We'll yeah. add it to our, you know, kind of description of the episode. But I was a little like, okay, uh, the the there was a choir of black people singing Watermelon Sky. And then there was a man who came out in blackface and he was a preacher, and but it was very minstrelly mm. in its presentation. Some of the stuff that the person said was a little funny, but it was... I can see why um, the black elite, because it's usually people who are um, some sort of um, intellectuals who do the critiques and write the stories and the passages or whatever. So for that reason, they were like, okay, you know, and and unfortunately, a lot of black actors of the time were... um, were criticized for that, like Hattie McDaniels for always playing slave roles. She won the Oscar yeah. for playing a slave in uh, Gone with the Wind. She was the first black actress to win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was always criticized for her roles. Mm. Um, but to her credit, I'd rather play a uh, maid on screen than there be one in real life. Yeah, that's true. It's like, And that's what I was going to say. It's really complicated, isn't it? Because it's still a job. Yes. It's still, be, you know, like, in Gone with the Wind... You're performing in a mainstream movie, so you're being represented. One of the biggest. It was the biggest movie right, right, of the day. Right, right, yeah. right. Like not just mainstream. Yeah, like what a, a blockbuster. It was a blockbuster. Time. Yes. Um, it, you can see the criticism of like, well, you're just only contributing like stereotypical. Yeah, mammy. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I, f- I, and it's not really my place to have a strong feeling. No, one way tell or the other, me. But talk, talk to it me. It is like it talk is. Talk to me now. <clears throat> It feels like, um, well, so like one of the things that exists, I feel like in white academia is this like idealistic, this is how things should be. And then there's Mm -hmm. this pushback of like, okay, but that's how things should be. But this is like 
the reality of what is now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and like you, it's great to have these high minded conversations about what's right and what isn't and how we should be acting. But often they, uh, come apart from the, the nature of what is happening in the world. Absolutely. It's a reflection. So, yeah. It's a reflection. So it, I don't know. It almost feels like it's like too idealistic to be that critical. But at the same time, I understand the need to have like, like if no one is making that point, then yes. how are you ever going to get more right. diverse black characters? I mean, know, it took a very that. long time for us to really get there. It took the Oscar Micheaux of the world to actually begin to even see more and more of the things that we see now. Yeah. Um, it always has to be a first and it always has to be someone who's going to stick their neck out. Right. Let's just be 100% clear. I'm a filmmaker and I had one day to shoot like eight or nine pages. Mm-hmm. That is that is a no-no. Yeah. Um, max is five to six, maybe six pages in mm-hmm. a day. But if I have just the one day to shoot, I have to say, okay, what am I willing to sacrifice? Yeah. Yeah. And this was in to- a time when you had full-on film, like these these round reels of film with a hand crank right right you had to get it and maybe there were times when somebody was like can i do that again i didn't feel like i gave my best but you have just a few hours to make this happen and then back then if i'm not mistaken film had to be hand um printed to the uh, to another reel, so then you had to go take the film and do another process with it. Mm. So we're looking at someone who had very little time, very little dollars. You know, there was no like, like place where right. you get he's the, self-funded, the, and he's self-funded. Yeah, and he he we haven't mentioned yet. He he made a lot of films in his time. Like he, he was really did really prolific, and all of it was self-funded. Yes, um, and it seems to me that like even if the interpretation. You know, if there were things in some of his films that were offensive or maybe don't hold up by today's standards that you made you uncomfortable, it felt like from a like where his heart was, he was truly attempting to like bring the black race forward because a at all black cast, but b a lot of his films were critique uh, were um, critiquing like society and what's going on Funny in the white dominance. Yeah. But you said Katrina. See where your mind went? You didn't go to the N-word. You went Katrina. <laughs> we never made that a WTF, by the way. That little hiccup that that lady said when she was trying to say the LA Lakers. Oh, yeah, yeah. We never uh, did that. Because yeah. it was covered. <laughs> it, it did get... But see, yeah. when people see when people are woke, they don't make that mistake. <laughs> go on. I was saying he was critiquing what was happening. He absolutely was. Like, you know, he does the homesteaders, right, I saw. And then his next film which comes out, I think, the next year, right. is literally a direct Within response our yes. to Birth of a Nation. Yes. Which, uh, you know, I've, I've personally never seen. I would imagine you probably... I have. You have seen it. I okay. Have. It's uh, a hard watch. I can imagine. I mean, it's it's glorifying the Ku Klux Klan. What, yeah. what more do you need to know? And mm-hmm. so he makes a movie in direct response to that. So clearly he's, like, thinking about race in society and the need... He did. I actually voice. watched within our gates, and it okay, covered. What did you think of it? it covered quite a bit. It was a, like there were moments where it was a little long for me, but at the essence of it, he dealt with things like you know colorism, and he dealt with issues of you know the 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 house nigga mentality, and yeah. he dealt with you know the talented tenth, a lot of the you know like the black intellectual and what that meant to them, 
those who had ties to the South. Yeah. Um, he dealt with a lot of those kinds of themes within this film. Even the what the, even the um, the heroine of the film, her she found out like her father was the white man who actually was trying to rape her, but he realized it was his daughter who he had sent up north to go to school. Wow. It was just so see, it was a lot. It covered that's a lot. A lot for I mean, it was like an hour forty. It yeah, was like an hour forty, and he covered all that. You had said the one tenth. What is, what is that? So talented tenth was oh, the the talented tenth was the idea that. Um, the black intellectual had a not a right but had the duty to be the force of the race to make changes with policy and to raise the intellect of the people mm. and to really be kind of the forefront whether it's in uh, politics or you. economics or so it's like the top 10 percent. yeah i got you okay you know like like uh you know uh um, oh geez zora neale hurston yeah and, right 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 Langston Hughes, County Cullen, yes. would be considered yeah. part of the talented. Funny team. you mentioned those names though, because uh, and and as we were discussing, Oscar Michaud wasn't like you know the Harlem Renaissance is going on at the same time. That and he's right, yes, yes, and, absolutely. Uh, he wasn't really accepted by that movement or seen as like a huge contributor to right. what was going on. Um, which because is, of the Black intellectual movement, right? He right. didn't fit the scope of what. Black people, which and and I, I recently listened to someone speak, and I'll I'll tell you offline the the name of the person. We may I I, I really want him on the show. Okay. Um, but he talks about how successful Black people tend to other themselves. Like, not I'm not that guy. Yeah. Like, I'm not him. I'm it's not a like nigga. The, I'm I'm the, OJ Simpson. Yeah. I'm not Black. I'm OJ. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And how do you? So if like, all of us have to be that or none of us are that. Right. Like, I can't separate myself from that. Yeah. And I and I understand the, the want, especially back then, to want to rise above um, the ideal of just being, you know, a nigga. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel that that is a disservice to yeah. so many individuals and people. You, your yeah. separation, like... Honor Michelle, you may not agree with the work that he does, but I again, I see that in the criticism of Tyler Perry. Mm-hmm. I see that in the criticism of Tyler Perry so many times. I myself have criticized, not publicly, but privately, like, oh, Tyler, I know we could. Uh. Yeah, really? You know, I yeah. have. I have felt that, that feeling. But for me, I go beyond that because we, as artists, we don't always get it right. Right? Yeah. As artists, sometimes we... Something that is like, whoa! Like, I there's this um, movie of his I love. It's called The Family That Prays. One of my favorite Tyler Perry movies of all time. Really good. But then you'll see something else. You're like, ah! I wasn't a fan of that. Mm, you know, yeah. maybe some of his themes about women and relationships I didn't necessarily agree with. But when I tell you I am such a fan of his, and when I tell you his work ethic and his... Um, the fact that he has been able to do so much yes. outside of the Hollywood, you know, like he did yeah, it he's, completely. He's his own thing now. He's like, his own genre. He has done his own thing. He has created a bigger studio than all the studios on the West Coast. Right. He's done what I wanted. I wanted a movie studio. And what Tyler yeah. did, I was like, oh my God. Hmm. You know, he was the first black man to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for all of those things, I am a huge Tyler Perry fan, but I do understand the criticism on the work. 
gotcha. sometimes. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. And I guess it, it does seem very... Now that you say it that way, I, I can see how it's, it is similar to a lot of what Oscar, Oscar Michelle was going on. Yeah. I read an article from like three years ago that Tyler was actually working on a film to play Michelle. Really? Yeah, that, that would, would be, be an super interesting. Like, he could, full circle thing. That would yeah. be an amazing project. Yeah. But I haven't heard since. Like there was, this was a you know like right, old right. article. So we'll see. It might circle back. Well, it was interesting. So I found a list of like all the different things that um, he, you know, all the subjects that he tackles and and so Oscar Micheaux did 16 talkies in his time. Wow. Um, and he was the only silent film era picture director to ever cross over to the sound area or to cross over to the sound era and really like stick. Because, yes. you know, he's making silent films prior to... Even uh, Chaplin didn't do that. Right. Chaplin yeah. made a couple, but didn't really like... Six, the fact that he was able to make 16 and actually a lot of his... Uh, of the work that he did during the sound era I read was like musical. So it's like particularly impressive because it's like sound is just new to film. And now you're adding in music and doing it. It's like, yes, it's very innovative in a way. Absolutely. Uh, But I saw a list of like all the different sort of, you know, spectrum of subjects that he tackles. He He did the war. He talks about, you know, the impossible dream of interracial marriage, the hostility of light skinned blacks to dark skinned ones which I think speaks a little bit to like what you were talking about, this inner community of like academic blacks mm-hmm. versus like the, yeah. it's similar yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, the great moral cost of trying to pass as white, the unjustified arrest of blacks on trumped up offenses and the use of black prisoners forced labor by white business owners, um, neighbor, segregated neighborhoods, um, the ills of such neighborhoods like boot, bootlegging, gambling, prostitution, uh, afflicted black communities deprived of education opportunities. So, like, he clearly was trying to cover the whole gambit. Yes. Of, or, yeah, I mean, of the black experience in yeah. a lot of ways of, at his time. So, I feel like the one thing that, you know, you, you're a filmmaker yourself, the thing that I feel like I need to know is, like, how do you look back on him and, and like, what effect do you feel like he has had on you, if any, really? like I will say, like, in, like, really kind of diving into my research and really kind of looking over your notes and some of the things that, like, the movies, because that's, that's, I go to the visual medium immediately. Sure, yeah. Um, I would say that, for me, it just reminds me that I have to be a risk taker. Okay. That I have to, yeah. in spite of the, the questions that may come and the things that I might think, oh, this is going to suck, I'm not really a fan, I have to give it a shot. Um, because that is the only way to really become the art, the artist that you want to become is by actually putting it out there, good, bad, or indifferent, um, holding on to it, sitting on it. Like he, he did what he came to do. (laughs) He did that thing. It was a time when you would have never expected a black man to be that. And Mm -hmm. he came along and he disproved everyone. And no, his he probably had a really hard go of it. It was probably a really um, emotional time for him because no one accepted him mm-hmm. on the level of, okay, this man is doing this. And I, I would even go as far to say those who criticized him, why didn't they ever back him with money for a project that could have been yeah. a better project right. yeah um so uh, it also taught me that critics are just that yeah they don't necessarily put themselves out there they're there to have a voice on you know just be an opposition as opposed to being the ones who say well you know what 
I don't necessarily agree with this. Is there any way we can work together? You know how to do it. I think there's another uh, voice that can be heard. Yeah, like seeking that collaboration. Yeah, seeking a collaboration because yeah. he knows how to make the films right. and you have ideas on what you want to see on screen. That's interesting. You yeah. know, so ignore the critics and really work with the people who are willing to kind of... Yeah, who want to work to try and prop up your work. And, you know and what? So I'm going to be 100% honest with you. And I shifted in my chair because this is a real honest yes. moment. Okay. I often thought about our collaboration on this podcast. And I've often thought, and I actually just told Dwayne this yesterday. I said, I swear at some point someone's going to say, well, why are you working with him? Yeah. Why would you go on a podcast with this white guy when it's like you got to... Because you were willing to collaborate... We have been willing to work together. We have a good rapport and you work really hard and you're really diligent. Yeah. And that's why it happened. So when you look at Mouchot in that way, he was diligent. Mm -hmm. He was willing to put himself out there. He was willing to put the, the dollars behind whatever you thought of it. He was willing to put himself out there. Now you have all these intellects with great novels and books, but weren't willing to put themselves out there. Yeah. And you have spans of time that go on where you see no blacks behind the camera doing what Mouchot did. Right, yeah. So when I think about Mouchot, I think about I have to go for it. I have to ignore the credits. I have to go with my instincts. Yeah. And I have to realize that if I'm willing to put myself out there, that's a lo- it's, kind of, it's going to be a lonely road. And, and yeah. you're going to hear the divided, you know, you're going to hear people say certain things and have little comments. And, and, and that's their right. Just so as in my why, right to huh? make my, my shit. Yeah, and I, I, you're touching on something I think uh, uh, artists have to learn if they're ever going to do great work, which is you have to be able to put your true feelings and your what, what you actually want to express on the page or on film or whatever your medium is without being fearful of how people are going to respond to it. And it seems like Oscar was, was great at doing that. Yeah. So that's why we're doing the podcast. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, good to know. <laughs> you, you're good. But, you're good peoples, man, and yeah, you work really hard. You. you you work yeah. really hard, and I would love to challenge anyone to be a part of this and come on as a producer totally. and yeah. you know a third every once in a while because it mm-hmm. is Shakisha and a white boy. <laughs> but you know, I, I I you know we welcome oh, yeah, the additions, I, I think, uh, but at the same time, at the time that we began this journey, it was you and I. Yeah, yeah, totally. So Just Oscar me Michelle, man. and you. thank you oscar we got deep today ryan we did you know oscar michelle we got a little bit into our own relationship and i think we can talk about that a little bit more but we've come to the end of another episode here on shakisha and the white boy and as always guys we have a friendly reminder that if you like today's show please rate and subscribe wherever you listen please please don't make us beg we're not above it (laughs) Uh, if something you heard on today's show sparked a thought or a question, send it to us at shakishaandthewhiteboy at gmail.com and we'll discuss it on an upcoming episode. We'd love that. We're not contractually obligated to mention him after each episode, but we're going to do it anyway just because he's been so good to us. Where's my five dollars? <laughs> Shout out to Berberak for writing and producing our intro music. You can hear more of his music by visiting www.brbrck.com. Shakisha, I was glad that we did this episode because uh, I feel like Oscar Michelle was someone who was important to you definitely and, you know when you when you mentioned that we were going to do an episode about him i i thought there was excitement from you yes so, how'd you feel i felt really good because you know he even though he he lived 
hundred like a hundred years before we were around. Yeah. Um, I feel like his story is a definitely an American story and one that we as creatives can understand. Yeah, you might say his story is history. <laughs> yeah, 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 Thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah, Thank yeah, for, you for that. For that. not for not doing anything. That is exactly <laughs> But you know what I actually liked about our, our conversation with him? I, I liked how we got into, um, like, really talking about him as a person and, like, yes. a human figure and not just, like, a symbol. Like, you, we, you so often can do with historical figures. I oh, felt like absolutely. we really got into, like, how there was a lot of conversation about him, even during the time that he was alive, you yes. know? So I thought that that was a good aspect because it's important to remember as we go over and, and discuss figures from throughout history that they were human beings yep. and they did have pros and cons and flaws and, and things that like any Absolutely. human does, you know, it's Absolutely. a rich experience. So, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll be back next week then. Until next time. Bye. Bye.